Thank you, Jesus. Can we just lift our hands, make it the center of our life today? We worship you today, Jesus. We thank you, God. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for your love for us, Jesus. We worship you. We praise you today, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Is he the center of your life today? I heard one preacher say, is he... Sometimes you hear people maybe in jest say, uh, when, when a situation looks hopeless, all we can do now is pray. And the preacher said, sometimes we, we make Jesus our last resort, not our first response. But I want him to be the center of my life, which means that I can cast all my cares on him. That means that anytime things are wrong, I go to Jesus. That every day, I don't let him revolve around me. I revolve around what he wants. Jesus, be the center of my life today. Be the center of my life. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your response today. Thank you to this worship team. Uh, what a beautiful day today. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to Revelations, the third chapter. I pray you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And uh, I know there are some that are traveling back. And, uh, and I appreciate all those who sent a, a happy Thanksgiving text or a meme or a gif or whatever else you call them these days. Um, I, I feel uh, that we are very blessed, very blessed people. And uh, I woke up early on Thanksgiving Day to prepare uh, the house. But before we prepared the house, we tried to prepare ourselves. Because I think sometimes we can fall prey to moving so swiftly through holidays and events that we forget truly the meaning and the purpose behind it. And uh, I, I truly uh, am thankful for this church, thankful for the, the men and women that make up the body of Christ. And uh, I want to say my life, my wife's life, my daughter's life is, is so much richer because of the church, because of all of you. And uh, I, don't, I don't take for granted the privilege and the honor that we have to come to church and worship in freedom. And, and although maybe some were, were scared by the snow today, all of you came because you value the church, you value the house of God. And I thank you for that today. Amen. I was supposed to start a, a two-week series. Um, we're entering into the relaunching of our building fund. And uh, we'll spend some time talking about that next Sunday. Uh, but in the last two weeks, I just felt with intensity that I should preach this message and components of it started coming together through the week and through different conversations. And so I want to be obedient to what I feel led to preaching the Holy Ghost today, if that's okay. And uh, next week, um, if you'd prayerfully consider over the next couple days um, uh, of contributing to the building fund, uh, you've all been incredibly generous uh, in, in giving to world missions and giving to the building fund, and we'll talk a little bit more and celebrate what God has done in, in the last two years. Uh, it truly is remarkable, but let's let's tune our ear into what he wants to say today. Amen? Amen. Revelations chapter 3 and verse 8. This is in the middle of a letter that John is writing uh, from Jesus to the church. This is to the church of Philadelphia, and in the midst of the letter, Jesus says to this church, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. That means their influence is, is small within their community. 
You've kept my word and you've not denied my name. Then verse 20, we pick up in the middle of another letter, and this is to the church of Laodicea. Jesus is writing to them, and he says this. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. One church has an open door. The other church needs to open the door. And and I want to speak to you on this topic today, crowded at the door. Would you just set your Bibles down and would you uh, lift your voices with me? And let's just ask that the Lord would speak to us in these next few moments. Jesus, we're so gracious and so thankful for all that you have done. We're truly grateful for your love and your mercy in our life. Thankful for your grace and your power and your presence. And we ask now in these next few moments that you would just speak to us, God. Let my tongue be the the pen of a ready writer. And I pray that I would speak with thus saith the Lord. Open our ears to ear what the Spirit is saying in these last days. We thank you, we praise you, and we worship you, and we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Once again, could you just clap your hands unto the Lord? And could you nudge nudge your neighbor next to you and say, I know, I know your, your door is looking a little bit like this in the last couple days. And you may be seated. This is going to be alarming, but 32 days is what stands between them. But if you blink, it will seem like mere seconds. I'm talking about the time frame between Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's a time when days seem short and time seems to run fast. One Christmas song describes it as the most wonderful time of the year. And I I couldn't agree more. It's a time of celebration. It's a time that we gather together with family and friends. It's a time of gratitude. It's a time of celebration as we commemorate God robing himself in flesh and coming to earth to die for our sins. It truly is a wonderful time of the year. And it's usually now after Thanksgiving when things begin to look and feel a little bit different. I think you can just look outside and you can say amen to that. Things begin to look a little bit different. I was outside trimming my bushes yesterday and a neighbor came by and we began to talk and she said, well, you're getting it in in time. And I said, in time for what? For the snow. And I said, no. She said, yes. And this morning I was greeted by the sound of the plow driving past my house. Houses across America are transformed with lights and displays. Christmas music is played in every store and on most radio stations. And and I would, uh, this is sometimes a big argument that takes place in households across America, but I think the acceptable time to listen to Christmas music is the day after Thanksgiving. Now, there are some people that feel like July 1st is the acceptable time to listen to Christmas music, but, but let it be said, let it be said that, that it is now the acceptable time to listen to Christmas music. Christmas parties and times of gathering for families take place at various times. Individuals dressed in red 
are out ringing a bell, collecting donations in a red kettle at grocery stores and department stores. And some of us do our best to not make eye contact with those individuals because we know if they lock eyes with us, our hand just automatically goes into our pocket. Christmas concerts and plays take place at schools, churches, and a large group of individuals that haven't been to church in a while take time to attend a service. It's a wonderful time of the year filled with nostalgia and new memories. However, the essence of the celebration has sadly become overshadowed by the commercialization and consumerism of the holiday. And there's no, there's no clearer example of this than the two big days that are between today. You may know them, Black Friday and Cyber Monday. On Friday, shoppers, maybe some of you, woke up terribly early. You got dressed in the dark, you made your coffee, and you went out to a store and you got in line. You got there before the doors even opened because there was great deals. There were doorbuster deals. There were the perfect present that you had your eye on. They say that the average shopper between Friday and tomorrow will send on average $567. However, one thing that was notable on Friday was the amount of people that elected to shop online. It was said that last year, more people shopped online than went into the store. And it's already been reported that as of Black Friday, as of the close of Black Friday, a staggering record-breaking $9.8 billion was spent with online shopping in America. Stores, stores like Amazon have made this new way to shop, and they send copious amounts of emails to alert you of discounts and coupon codes. And, 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 and you know, if you, don't, if you don't order it in the next five minutes, you'll miss out and your life will be miserable. And they send emails, and I think to date I probably have 300 emails that span from Friday. Shopping online, it allows us to skip the lines, skip the cold and early morning, skip the impatient and rude shoppers, and shop from the comfort of our home while still in our pajamas. And it's the allure of online shopping. Order anything, you name it, and the product will come to your front door within days. And sometimes, if you live in the right geographic location, in hours. It's crazy today when you go to Amazon and you order something. I ordered something uh, last night at 8 p.m. and this morning at 7 a.m. It was on my doorstep already. And some people say it's still not fast enough. It's convenient. It's, it's easy. Maybe, maybe a little too easy. And as a result, businesses everywhere are competing for a spot on your front door. If you won't come to us... We want to come to you. And their promise, they're, 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 they're so kind and caring and compassionate. They say, if you order it, we'll get it to you quick. We'll get it to you before the holidays. If it's the wrong size, send it back, no problem, and we'll give you another one. So this holiday season, DoorDash can deliver your food while Amazon drops off your Christmas gifts. Instacart can put together your grocery shopping order and deliver it to your door while Walgreens fills your prescription, and they'll all come to your front door. And all at once, it seems that it's getting a bit crowded at the door. 
When Scripture uses the word door, we, we see it used some 400 times within the Old and the New Testament. In, in my deep, exhaustive studies of the Greek and Hebrew, I came to discover that a door is used many times as a point of entrance or exit. Just think about that. That'll rock your world. It's strategically placed on houses and on buildings so that you can get in and you can get out. I, I looked at this in different languages. I conferred it with my thesaurus and my commentaries. However, a door can also be used to metaphorically express an opportunity in our lives. It represents that choice we make or rather ignore. And as a result, you'll hear people say things like, I feel like God has given me an open door. Or you hear people say, I was going to go, but I felt like the door was shut. If you're really ambitious, people say, the door was shut. I found a window and I kicked it. No, no, we don't do that. But a door can also speak to something deeper. It can foreshadow of something to come. Look at Genesis, and on the ark there was to be one door. And God was the one who shut that door, and he opened the door. It was a door that was to have blood applied to the post and the lentils that would cause the death angel to pass over for the Israelites on the Passover, their last night in Egypt. And it was a door that was the only entrance to the tabernacle, the place where God would allow access and a way for an unholy people to approach a holy God, all of which typifying and foreshadowing salvation to come. Because there would be a day where Jesus would exclaim to those in his hearing, and he would say to them, I am the door of the sheep. Verse 9 of John 10, he said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastures. Just, just as we see it, with the ark, and just as we see it with the tabernacle, Jesus confirmed that there is only one entrance to salvation. Now understand, there's not a multiplicity of doors. This isn't uh, behind door number one is accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, and you're saved. But if you don't like this, there's door number two. And door number two, you just have to say a sinner's prayer, and you're saved. But if you don't like that door, even better yet, there's door number three. And you just live a good life. Be a good person. That, that, that's not how it works. Jesus said, I'm the door. Later he would say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, there is not a multiplicity of ways to me. You can't build your own route. You can't take your own path. But there is one entrance and there is one door. Jesus would, would, would speak to Nicodemus at night, and G Nicodemus asked Jesus a question. And, and Jesus didn't really pay much attention to the question, but he said to him most assuredly in John 3 and 5, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He said that there's something that needs to be done. Yes, I know it's by grace we're saved through faith, but faith has action applied to it. And, and Jesus said, unless, unless you're born of the water... And of the Spirit, there is a door, but you're not going to get into that door unless you're born again of the water and of the Spirit. And, and there was a day where, where Jesus began to talk to his disciples, and he began to say, who do men say that I am? And they said, some say Elisa, Elias, and one of the prophets. And he said, oh, okay, okay, I get that, but who do you say that I am? 
Peter said, you're Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I have given you the keys. Well, what do keys do? They open things. And so here, Peter, like, like a janitor, has, has this keychain uh, around his waist just waiting for the right time. And, and there it was on the day of Pentecost. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting and appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And they all were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues. And people began to gather around and say, what is going on? We think these individuals are drunk. And Peter said, they're not drunk as you suppose. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. That in the last days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And you see Peter, as he's preaching, he's, he's getting the keys ready. And he's saying, okay, here's what we got to do. And they say, what do we do? He says, you need to repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. No, no, you're not just sprinkled. He, he said, you need to be baptized. Baptizo, it's to be buried. We're buried with him in baptism. That's how we identify with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he said, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter said, this is the entrance. This is the door. This is the purpose of why Jesus robed himself in flesh and came to earth. And this is how you get in the door. He said, there's one door and one way in which we enter into that door. I want you to know something. The, the enemy knows about the door. He, he's well aware of the door. He, he, he maybe didn't understand it when Jesus was doing his active ministry because if he would have known it, he would have tried harder to stop it. But once it happened, he is well aware of the door. Scripture says the, the, the demons believe there's one God and they tremble. They're, they're aware of the scriptures. They're aware of the prophetic utterances. They're, they're aware that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecy. And he knows the opportunity and the damage you can do if you walk through the door. He, he knows the purpose you can uh, unlock and the destiny you can fulfill if you walk through the door. So what does he do? He tries to keep the door crowded. He, 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 he fills it with, with distractions to keep you busy. He offers temptations to try to pull you and entice you away from the door. Don't, don't, don't go by this door. There's other things you can do. Try, have you tried this door? Have you tried this door? And so there are people today that are opening other doors looking for fulfillment, and they're sadly not finding it. They're still empty. They're still void. After Cain had offered an unacceptable sacrifice and before he decided to kill his brother Abel, God speaks to him and he says in Genesis 4 and 7, he says, you will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. Get, get that picture. I, I, I think about the times when my dad would come in late at night and I would hide in the closet right next to the door. And I'd just crouch down there and just wait till he got in. He wasn't expecting it. Rah! And most times you go, oh! Sometimes I had my airsoft gun. And we get the picture that Satan is crouching at the door. I'm not saying that I'm a, a type of Satan. That was a bad metaphor. Just go with me. Now that you got the picture in your head, put somebody else in that place. No, don't put somebody else in your place. It's Satan. 
And there he is. He's crouching at the door. And he thinks, ah, yeah, you're going to go to church. I'm okay if you go to church. But the moment you start moving towards something, he kind of starts getting out there. That, that's why you can come to a church service. And you can make a commitment. You can spill tears on this altar. And you can feel like my life will never be the same. I, I'm, I'm changed. I'm transformed. God's called me. And you can walk to your car door and, and something happens. The next day you wake up and before you walk out the door, all of a sudden you forgot everything that happened on Sunday. You go back to living the same way, the same life, with the same temptations coming at you. That's why a lot of people on Monday morning experience a heavy dose of temptation. Temptation to sleep in. Temptation to slap the clock instead of get out of bed and spend time with the Lord. T temptation to, to, to do their own thing instead of submit to the will of God. And, and Jesus said, if we're not careful, if we disregard relationship, if we get distracted, he said, watch out! Because sin, it's crouching and crowding out the door. It's waiting to pounce on you. It wants to control you. And the enemy cannot get you with sin. He'll try to get you in other ways. So he crowds the door. And if we're not careful in the celebration of the season, we can push pause on the urgency of the hour. We can push pause on our fervency. We can push pause on our responsibility. And we can become distracted in December. Lights, and celebration, presents, and parties, and, and concerts, and all these things. And the enemy is watching, and he's waiting to pounce. I, I, don't, don't, I'm not trying to, to mean any illness by this, but, but it was October 7th. It was a Jewish holiday for Israel, and Hamas knew. The enemy always knows when, when celebration is taking place and, and when the Jews were celebrating, when they were with one another commemorating uh, the, the, the things that take place on that day. They just had gotten done with Yom Kippur. And, and as they're celebrating, the enemy goes, I know now is the time. It was 50 years in 1973, a surprise attack on Israel during Yom Kippur. You see, the enemy knows when we let the foot off the gas. The enemy knows when we're distracted in celebration, and that's when the enemy wants to attack. But what happened in the natural also takes place in the spiritual. I remember hearing a pastor a while back talk about a conversation that he had with a witch. And the woman told him, she said, she said I think sometimes you Christians get it wrong. She said, you think that the most demonic activity takes place in the month of October during Halloween, but you're wrong. The, 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 the greatest month for us where we do the most damage on the church is in December. She said, because in December, you don't have revivals. In December, you don't have prayer meetings. In December, you're so distracted that you leave the door wide open. And that's the time when we have the greatest success in our practice. Because sometimes in the festivity, we let up on our fervency and our faithfulness to the kingdom of God. But, but I just hear something deep inside of me that says, not this year. Not this church. Not in this 
community. We are not going to let our guard down. We are not going to take the month of December off. We are going to be on guard, daily arming ourselves with the full armor of God and saying, enemy, if it's a fight you want, then it's a fight you're going to get because you're not going to come to my house and find a prayerless family, but you're going to find a father. You're going to find a mother. You're going to find a daughter on their knees in prayer. We're not going to take time off. We're not going to let up. We're not going to let loose, but we are going to have the same intensity. Let me just be pastor. Time is running out. It's great to to try to figure out the prophetic utterances and and figure out where we are in the clock. But if we're not careful, we'll spend so much time trying to figure it out that we're not doing the work of the Father. Yeah, I know you know the biblical prophecies. Yes, I know you're good with revelations and you want to hear more about revelations. But Jesus said, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? He said, he that endureth until the end, he's the one that shall be saved. And that's the father and the mother that are doing the father's business. Those are the Christians that are saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm not taking the day off. I'm not letting loose. I'm not taking a step back in my faith. Now is the time to awake out of our sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. I've been hearing that all my life. I've grown up in this. I've fallen asleep under pews. I've been to church on pretty much every day of the week, multiple times, revivals on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I got to church early, and I've been to church late. I've been at all-night prayer meetings, and I've been at all-night lock-ins. I've grown up in this, but growing up in this is not enough. If we're not careful, we, we can hear these things over and over and we just put them on the shelf and we think, yeah, he's coming back, but I got time. And we go to doing our work and we clutter up the door. We crowd out the door and sin is crouching at the door. Yeah, the problem may lie crouching at the door, but the solution also can be found at the door. And, and Revelation gives us two insights to it. In Revelations 2 and 3, Jesus wrote letters to seven churches. These were letters that, that through his servant John, he, he spoke to John, and John would pen what Jesus would have him write to the churches. Imagine if Jesus wrote a letter to the church today. And, and in the letter, he offers insight into the nature of who he is. Each, each letter is packed with revelation and insight into who he is. And, and really, if you get the insight of who he is, you understand how he's approaching that church. Each letter, there is praise, and some, some churches don't get any praise, but most get praise. Most of the churches are re- rebuked for what's taking place within the church. There's a message of warning to almost every church of things to come. And every church is given a promise that they can hold on to. And every church is told, uh, he that hath ears to hear, Hear what the Spirit is saying. To the final church, the church of Laodicea, we affectionately call that the lukewarm church. He he said, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're you're lukewarm. The properties that made you who you should be, you're not any longer. And so since you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And it's a sad state, but not a hopeless one. It's, It's a picture, really, of a dying church, but thankfully it's not dead. Jesus says to them, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
Understand ancient homes, they, they didn't allow for you to open it from the outside. It had to be opened from the inside. And Christ says, I'm standing outside. I've been standing here for some time. And if you listen, you can hear me knocking. And it's my desire not to be out here. <laughs> I would much rather be in there. But I wait for you to open the door and invite me in. And if you invite me in, I'll have communion with you. I'll have fellowship with you. I'll have relationship with you. The first thing we have to do is we need to open the door. And this simply represents relationship. If you, if you listen closely, I promise you it happens each day. It can happen at various times throughout the day. But, but nonetheless, it happens to all of us. It's a sound of knocking. It's not an audible knock, but yet somehow we can still hear it. It's not forceful. It's gentle. It's maybe even for some faint. But it's Jesus knocking on the door of our heart. Would you let me in? He's saying, I don't want you just to celebrate me at Christmas I want communion with you. I don't want you just to read the birth story. I want you to have relationship with me. I don't want you just to talk about me. I want you to talk to me. So every morning, i got to get ready for work. You can hear Jesus knocking at the door of your heart. I want to spend time with you. I want to talk with you. I want to hear your voice. I want to have relationship with you. I want to reveal more of myself to you. But it's hard to answer when there's a crowded door. It's hard to answer the door when it's cluttered. It's hard to answer if we're distracted from the door. It's hard to answer if the schedule is filled. Therefore, we ignore the door. Jesus says, I don't just stand at the door and knock. But he said, if anyone hears my voice, he said, I'll, I'll also begin to speak. I knock, but I also speak, and I say things like, would you just let me in? Would you just make me the center of your life? I can hear it through the words he said to Peter, James, and John when he was in Garden of Gethsemane, and he, he invited them to come closer, deeper into the garden, and when he comes back, there they are sleeping. And he says, could you not but tarry with me for one hour. There I hear God's voice saying to us, could you not in a 24-hour period just carve out a couple moments for me? Yeah, you think an hour is too long, but could you give me 30 minutes? Could you give me 15 minutes of your time? Could, could you give me some time? I, I don't want rushed time. I don't want leftover time. I don't want distracted time. I don't want multitasking time. Think about that today. I hear people sadly at times say, I pray during the day at work while I'm sitting at my desk. I, I pray on my way to the office. I, I pray in transit. But what if we carved out time and said, God, I don't want any other distractions I'm not going to commune with you when I'm cleaning the house. I'm not going to commune with you when I'm exercising because you're that important to me, God. 
And so when you knock on the door, I'm going to open it. With 36 days left in the year, I wonder if we would make it a commitment to open the door. I know it, it, it's, it's normal to say January 1st coming and, and we're going to set resolutions to do different things. But, but what if we said tomorrow is the day? I'm not going to wait for January 1st. I'm not going to wait for a, another month because you know what? We don't know if we'll make it to January 1st. I believe that the angel is getting ready to put the trump to his lips. We, we are racing the rapture. We don't maybe have months. We maybe don't even have years. I don't know where we are. But we don't have time to put off tomorrow what God has asked us to do today. And there he is knocking on the door of our heart. Would you let me in? I know you're busy. I know you're important. I know you have plans. I know you have purpose. I know you have a job. But would you just make time for me? So what does that look like? We, we've talked about this throughout the course of the year. I, I would tell you that in order for your prayer life to be successful, you need four things. You need to have a time. A time every day that you set aside for God. For, for me, it's a, it's, it's a calendar invite in my phone that goes off 15 minutes before that lets me know, oh, David, that's so mechanical. You know what? It may be mechanical, but it lets me know that nothing else can fill that time because that's my time with God. Every one of us needs a time. Every one of us needs a place. He, he said when you pray, enter into your closet, and when you've shut the door, he, he said open the door, but then go into your closet, and when you shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you openly. He said you need to have a place. Well, I, I can just make anywhere my place, but there's something about having a designated place that you know when I come into this place, I'm not going to be checking for dust. I'm not going to be reminded of the dishes in the sink. I'm not going to be in a place where my phone is, is buzzing every 10 minutes to let me know that I'm missing text messages. But I'm going to leave my phone outside of the place so that I can get alone with God and show him that's how important. We need a time, we need a place, we need a posture, a position of how we pray, whether you sit or whether you kneel, whether you walk. I, I believe there is something important. Daniel, he kneeled when he prayed by his window. There was a place, there was a time, and there was a posture in how he prayed to God. And every one of us needs to use our voice. Yeah, I know God knows the thoughts and the intents, but the first time we see in Scripture where men began to call on God is with their voice. And so he longs to hear your voice, not just when you're in trouble, not just when you have a laundry list of needs, not just when you need something from him, but he wants to hear your voice. And so that's why when, when I get up, I say, why don't you lift your voice? Because we can worship him, but sometimes we have no idea how to talk to him. He says, I want to hear your voice. Yes, you have problems, but the solution is at the door. Yes, you may have struggles, but the solution is at the door. Yes, you may feel overwhelmed, but the solution is at the door. You may feel far from God, but I'm, I'm here to tell you that the solution is at the door. Amen. So we need to open the door. It's the first thing we need to do. But it's not enough to just open the door and let Jesus in, for there is still work to be done. Jesus is coming back soon. I know I've said it a number of times, but I'm going to continue to say it. He's, he's coming back soon. And what that should tell us is I have family members that are not saved. I have coworkers that I talk to on a regular basis that are not saved. 
I have friends that I hang out with and that if I don't tell them about Jesus, they're not going to make it to heaven. Jesus said to the church of Philadelphia, known as the faithful church, he says, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. You see, an open door speaks to the opportunity of evangelism. It it speaks to spreading the gospel. It, it, It speaks to making disciples. The next thing we do after we open the door is we realize that that he has a door for us that's open and he wants us to walk through the door. This is the case all throughout scripture. Paul would say uh, to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16 and 9, he says, for a great and effective door has been opened to me and there are many adversaries. He's saying there's, there's opportunity for me in this city, in this community. God has opened it wide open, meaning there are hungry people that are ready and willing to receive the message. And to the church at Colossae, he said, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word. He's saying there's places that we want to go, but the door is not opened. And so we need to pray that God would open the door. All throughout our day, there are open doors. I'm not talking about the sliding glass doors at Pick and Save. I'm not talking about the doors that your children forget to shut. I'm not talking about the revolving glass doors that when you walk are automated and they start. No, I'm talking in the spirit that there are open doors that God has, has opened to you, to your family members. There are open doors. I like to call them divine intersections that throughout the day, if we would attune in our spiritual ears, that there are conversations we have at work where our coworkers say things and God is showing you it's an open door. When someone says to you, I just feel so depressed and discouraged, guess what? It's an open door. When someone looks at you and says, my family and I are going through struggles, we need help, that's an open door. It doesn't always sound like, hey, would you teach me a Bible study, Bridget? And sometimes that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for someone to come to us and say, I'm lost and you're found. I'm in darkness, you're in light. Would you teach me? But it doesn't sound like that. Sometimes it comes across as sarcasm. Sometimes it comes across in a hurtful way. But if we would listen beyond the hurt... If we would listen beyond how we feel about the words, we would see that God has given us an open door. Jesus said the harvest is truly plentiful, but the problem is the laborers are few. He said the doors are open everywhere. I just can't get people to go through the door. There are doors everywhere. You walk in your work, at your home, in your uh, this week, this month, when you meet with your family members, there's going to be open doors. But will you walk through it? Will you walk through the door? Understand, we, we can sometimes get so caught up doing the work of God. Ministry, I, I mean when I say the work of God. I'm going to church and I'm, 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 I'm serving in ministry. But, but God wants us to also do his will. And, and, and P, 2 Peter 3 and 9, I believe it was, it says, It is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is God's will Brother Fromstein, that the people that you surround, the people in your area of influence, that God says, I've put you there. That's your harvest field. And shame on us if we've been living for God for 30 years and we've never picked up a Bible study chart. I I can tell you that the very first thing that Jesus told his disciples was, go preach the gospel. 
He said that is the commission to everyone, every person, that is, whether you've been in the church for a minute or for 30 years. That is your call. That is your purpose. That is his plan. That is his desire. That is his will for your life, that you would go out into the highways and the byways and find people that are lost and are dying and hurting. And he opens the doors. Isaiah would peer through the window of time, and he would see a day to come, and he would write the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And today, in a couple weeks from now, we'll celebrate that light that came into the world. God manifest in flesh, robing himself, coming as an innocent baby, a spotless lamb that John would see, and he would say, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. We celebrate that, that, that each one of us once was in darkness. That each one of us used to be uh, so deep in sin and, and addiction, but the Lord came and, and he sent somebody and, and, and God had mercy on our soul and forgave us and, and redeemed us and restored us. And now we who were in darkness walk in light. But, but listen, when, when, when Paul was talking about his Damascus Road experience, when he was talking about what Jesus did when he met him on the way to persecute the church, he, he said in, in verse 17 of Acts 26, he said that the Lord said to him, I'm going to send you now to the Gentiles, verse 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Listen, that's the heartbeat of Jesus, people. That's the reason he clothed, robed himself in flesh and came to this earth. It was people. That was the reason we celebrate the Christmas story. It's not so that you can get presents. It's not so that you can celebrate with your family. It's because he came because he loved people so much. And so I think we just need to make a concerted effort and a stand that we're not taking December off. We're going to see the waters of baptism stirred in the month of December. We're going to see people filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost in December. We're going to reach out to a loved one, and we're going to get a Bible study. The greatest gift that we can give anyone is by opening the Word of God, by opening our hearts and opening our homes and saying, hey, would you come over to my house and let me teach you a Bible study? He said, there's an open door. No man can shut it. Government can't shut it. COVID can't shut it. Your coworker can't shut it. Your boss can't shut it. Your spouse can't shut it. He, he said it's an open door. No one can shut. But if you would tune your ear in and answer the call. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Jesus told many parables throughout his earthly ministry. His parables give us insight and understanding into the kingdom of heaven. There's one that he tells, and I know most of you are familiar with this one. It's a story of, of ten virgins. In the beginning of the story, he refers to five as wise and five as foolish. The difference between the wise and the foolish is quickly perceived in their preparation. The, the wise have their lamps, but they've also packed extra oil where the foolish just have enough oil for the trip. And unfortunately, there, there's a delay in the bridegroom coming. And, and in the delay, the foolish run out of oil. And it's at that time where they're slumbering in the night that the announcement is made. Behold, 
the bridegroom comes. The wise, they wake up and they trim their lamps and they get their reserve oil. They're ready. The foolish look at the wise and say, we've run out of oil. We, we have nothing left. Give us some. And they say, we, we can't give you our oil. You have to go get your own. And so the foolish go off searching for oil. And it's in that time that the guests enter the party. And Scripture says, the door is shut. Foolish finally get some oil. And they come to the party and they begin to knock. Lord, Lord, open us. Open the door. We're on, we're on the invitation list. We, we, we've been invited. We got the invitation right here. We were just running a little late. We, we just had a hiccup. We just had a snag. We just had to prepare. And the voice, much to their surprise, comes back from the other end of the door. Assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. How don't you know us? You invited us to the party. We got the invite in the mail. We RSVP'd. We, we did what we needed to do to... He said, I don't know you. The door's been shut. I can't reopen it. Earlier in Scripture, Jesus would illuminate this parable when he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Lord, we've been filled with the Spirit. We have the oil, the Holy Ghost. Then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There's a day coming soon that Jesus is coming back for his church. And on that day, the door will be shut. And on that day, intentions will not matter. God, I, I had intended to get it right. I, I had intended to make church a priority. God, I intended to put you first. God, I, I intended to pray. You're not going to be judged on your intentions, but rather what you did. He's going to look at how did you treat the door? Did you, did you open the door to him? Or did you spend your entire life keeping him on the outside and only opening it when it was convenient? Then quickly excusing him to leave. Did, did you walk through the open doors that God had put in your life? Or did you just walk past him? because you are too busy. I don't have time for this door. I don't have time to walk through this door. I don't know about you, but I think today is a good day to clear the clutter from the door. That before we go into this holiday season, that, that before that we celebrate with our family, before we count down uh, into a new year, that we would say today is day one for me. I, I'm clearing away the mess from the door. I'm, I'm getting away the things that are crowding the door. And I'm going to open the door up for Jesus. If that's your desire today, I want to open a door for you to come down to this altar and to make a covenant and a commitment to God.
that no longer will the door be shut, but I will have it open to you, Jesus. You have access to my life. And not only that, Jesus, but every opportunity you present to me, every open door, I'm going to walk through it. If that's your desire today, I invite you down to this altar. Lord Jesus, I pray today that you would help us, God. Lord, time is running out. We are racing the rapture. And God, there is coming a day when the door will be shut. God, everything we did, or Lord, rather the things we didn't do, will be taken into consideration. And I pray today, God, that you would help us, Lord, to be ready. Lord, more than just skating through the day, more than just punching a time clock, more than just meeting an obligation, God, I pray help us to be ready to meet you, Jesus. There's coming a day when the trump will sound and the dead in Christ will rise and we which are alive and remaining will be caught up together. Lord, help us today to realize that what we do today matters. Help us not to, Lord, exhaust your grace. Help us not to abuse your mercy. But God, I pray that you would help us to position ourselves in this hour at the door. Lord, to open it up to you, God, to walk through every opportunity you have for us. God, there are loved ones. There's a lost world that's waiting. It's depending upon us. Would you help us today, Jesus? Would you help us today, God? Lord, would you recenter us, Lord? Help us to make it all about you today. Not my will, but your will be done, God. Help us, Jesus.